Felix Faust, Appalachians. Just skimming the files we were going to cover was a thrill, with Gardner Fox sowing seeds for the future of the Justice League. With a few leaguers on hand to answer questions, we started digging into the next round of stories. This was going to be fun. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. We have a lot to cover today, so we're going to jump into it as quickly as possible. However, there's some exciting stuff in here that I, I enjoyed and we're going to yeah. get to. Uh, these are, so we're covering eight issues this time because this is going to get us to 1963. We're not actually going to go into 63 because we're going to go back and start and catch everything up because... Something very important to the history of comics as an industry occurs in 1963, which is seeded by something that happens in 1961 in Flash Comics. We're going to talk about that. We'll get yes. to it. But that is important for us to talk about. And we want to do that with the preamble that it needs without having to go like, this happened. We haven't covered it yet. That's the wrong way to go about it. So we're stopping where we're stopping, which is at the end of 1962. But we're going to go through the entirety of 1962 right now. Uh, Joanne's got her stopwatch. Covering just... Justice League of America, yes. number 9 through 16. Yes, that is correct. Um, back with the JLA. This is going to be our last episode with the JLA for a little bit, because then we're going to jump back into everybody else's books, plus some new books. Um, yes. And then we'll catch up again. So we're going to start with JLA number 9, February 1962. The JLA is celebrating their third anniversary uh, in the hall of it's not the hall of justice but their secret clubhouse um i like that they're also keeping in mind the timeline that this is the third year that the, the jla has been around which is the mm. third year of the book running which is kind of funny um since their appearance in 19 the end of 1959 up to 1962 uh because they showed up in brave and the bold uh they're getting ready for a party everyone's pitching in and uh snapper's like hey how did you guys you know become a, a team and green arrows like that's a good question i don't know that either and during their feast of cake the team begins to talk about their first job together and it is against the appalachians now those of you young justice viewers might remember the appalachians from season two in the blue beetle and superboy storyline uh, where Superboy is pissed off that Ms. Martian's with uh, Lagoon Boy, and they, mm -hmm. they faff off to do the, their own storyline. And they fight the Appalachians, which are resurrected by Intergang, by Ugly, uh, Mannheim, and Whisper Adair. And they fight them, and it's a whole thing with to do with the beetle, and the beetle can talk to the Appalachians. It, it's the Crystal Rock tree monster thing that shows up. And they even say... I don't remember it. And they even say... These were the creatures that the Justice League fought in their first outing in the, in the episode. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I thought they were just, you know, making shit up. But no, it's legit the first villain that the, the Justice League fights is the Appalachians. The Appalachians are a race of multitudinous different looking creatures that are competing for the right to be supreme ruler of Appalax. And the supreme ruler's like, go to Earth. Whoever conquers Earth gets to be the supreme ruler of Appalax. And each of these creatures basically attempts to assimilate earthlings into its own sort of biological state there's a stone guy who tries to oh that's what stone. it reminds me of the borg primal rage oh yeah, yeah yeah totally like primal rage yeah i'm so proud of myself there you go <laughs> um but yeah so it's um 
you've got like a rock guy turning people into rocks. You've got a bird creature that turns things into yellow bird creatures. A fire guy turns people into fire things. You get the picture. Um, culminating in the iconic JLA cover of Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and the Flash turning into trees, which is a, a big iconic of the history of the JLA cover. And um, this is the one body count that they get is destroying the tree organism and turning him into sawdust via Wonder Woman's lasso. Meanwhile, Batman and Superman show up in the, the Arctic to fight a crystalline one after doing what I want to say is a world's finest storyline. They show up afterwards going like, oh, cool, deal with this. The rest of the team get together. They're like, we should do this like monthly and get together and hang out and stuff. And they're like, cool. And that's it. That's how they all get together. It's not like a big, it's not like a pomp and circumstance sort of a situation. It's just kind of like, yeah, like we all fight crime and stuff. This is cool. Let's do it again. It's like, a standing brunch date. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's you meet up a bunch of people who have a similar interest to you and you all get together to find out like where you're next going to hike. You know, like that's what this is. And Snapper and Green Arrow are like, that was cool. Um, you killed a, a tree man thing. And they're like, well, we sent the rest of them back to Appalax. Apparently it's kind of, hinted at um though there is some speculation as to whether or not they did die I, I feel like the flash kills the fire one and the stone one is hinted at being broken apart by mallets by cops but we never see that happen and they say that they send some of them back so i'm going to assume that those are presumed alive until proven otherwise but body count one for the justice league specifically wonder woman who keeps killing shit um <laughs> apparently uh tree creatures fall into the same category as submarines and ufos right and this had the uh the glass kaiju that you were talking about where it was like the underwater uh, glass creature that aquaman has to fight in an ingenious way by getting a bunch of uh fish that do noise attacks or basically they make clicking noises underwater very loudly and it like knocks the creature back and cracks him up a little bit and defeats him which is cool um we're then going to oh and stupid m moment here uh the flash refers to Wonder Woman at one point as good girl. Yeah. And I called that out. I was like, boo, yeah. Barry Allen, boo. Um, but we, we move forward. Um, now, Mar first Martian would, Manhunter and now Barry Allen. Would the uh, tree creature be an unidentified flowering object? I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Uh, JLA number 10, March 1962. The first appearance of Felix Faust. Uh, also a traditional Justice League villain. Now sort of a John Constantine, Justice League Dark sort of villain. Um, Felix Faust is a cut-rate sorcerer as, as things go in the DC universe. Um, he's a guy who kind of just finds other stuff to make him more powerful, even though he has kind of a passing affinity for magic. Um, Faust has def uh, discovered that there are three demons who were trapped by the Timeless Ones or what old ancient magic things. And uh, he's like, if I free you, you'll give me powers. And they're like, sure, dude, but like, we're not technically free. You have to get these three objects. And he's like, oh, God, I don't know if I can get those. And they're like, what if we give you like finger puppets that look like the Justice League and you use them to get the things for us? And he's like, that could probably work. So they make uh, his hands basically turn into finger puppets of the Justice League members that he is then going to control. And he uses them to get the objects that he needs. Um, Aquaman summons some flying fish to smack him around in the face and distracts him. And they defeat Felix Faust. Who is like, ah, but I did enough of the, the spell so that in a hundred years the demons will be free. So maybe this works out for me in the end? We'll never know because that's the end of the issue. The next issue, however, Justice League number 11, May 1962. 
is a continuation of the story as the team is fighting minions of the Lord of Time, which is a guy who just seems to draw people from different eras of history to fight for him. It's like unimportant. They're they're devoting a lot of time and prominence to the B plot. Yeah. And they're treating the B plot as though it's the A plot. It's not right. like they're weaving it in. It's like uh, this is the spot where you would normally like they lead with that, yeah, and then they bring back the uh, the three the demons, three. yeah, and it's it's really weird. Like we had no setup to the Lord of Time whatsoever. Like we come in and Medius rest to them def- fighting the Lord of Time, mm-hmm. um, and then they're like, oh god, we have to send him because he goes to the future. They find him in the future due to a time bubble in Superman. It's a Yep. It's a doozy of a thing there. Uh, Superman doing time travel for everybody, even though the Flash mentions he has a time travel device, hinting uh, perhaps at the cosmic treadmill. Um, yeah, I think it has happened at this point. I saw it I called do. out in a uh, letters page. If I do remember correctly, we did cover the cosmic treadmill. Um, mm. But they all go to the future, they fight the Lord of Time, and then they come back, and on their way back, they can't go past 2062, which is a hundred years in the future when the demons would be released and they realize they have to stop in 2062. They leave the Lord of time in like a vortex somewhere. He's just chilling, I guess during this whole fight and they defeat the three demons by pretending to be each other. Green Lantern essentially turns them into each other by making them like, you know, Batman looks like Aquaman and Aquaman looks like Superman. And so oh, Batman actually looks like Wonder Woman, which is kind of funny because mm-hmm. they have rope abilities, I guess is the one to one comparison there. Um, and they defeat the demons by the demons trying to do the weaknesses for the characters that they think they're seeing, but not actually being weak to them because it's people disguised. And I want to call out that it's not like uh, weaknesses, like uh, especially like it's not for John John's fire. Yeah, it's it's Magic the Gathering style targeting. Yeah, where you can't you're trying to target a thing and it's like nope can't target because they're trying to use like the names of characters yeah. and it's oh you are john jones but you're not so this doesn't work yeah it's like oh my god i said his name why isn't he turning into fire because mm-hmm. it's, it's not him so um it's a clever bit of trickery by the league they defeat the three demons um time goes back to the way it should and they bring the lord of time back to their periods they can arrest him and all's well that ends well with the three demons two-part story between jla number 10 and number 11 before we move on from this one uh just a a tangent that i found very entertaining uh you mentioned cosmic treadmill and superman doing the time travel for everybody yes and there was a letter that i had never thought of it from this perspective before but there's the age-old question of who's faster, Flash or Superman, and there are all kinds of answers. This one I loved because Superman going through time is explicitly him moving so fast he goes through time. And the argument of the letter is that the Flash must go fast, must be able to go faster because no matter how fast he goes, and he goes extremely fast, we never see him actually cross, like start traveling through time instead of moving at that speed so flash is able to attain higher speeds because his speed is never capped by initiating time travel yeah interesting yeah no that's that's (laughs) makes all kinds of comic sense but yeah it does Um, oh that i i like that phrase and that's a that's a really good backhanded burn but it does though (laughs) i mean like it makes sense for comics and that would be the explanation that i would give someone and they'd be like oh because it's comics it's like yeah 
It's like when uh, a new wrestler from a different company shows up in the WWE and they've already got like a package and their own merch and their own theme song. It's like you just take it as wrote. Mm-hmm. It's not the first day they've shown up. Clearly, they, you know, they're not invading from nowhere. It's like they obviously had some setup time, but you know, we accept it as as wrote. Um, we're going to move on to JLA number twelve, June nineteen sixty two. Hey, another first appearance for a good old JLA bad guy, Doctor Light, who at this point is a guy who can just. You remember Mirror Master from the Flash comics that we've done in previous episodes? Um, he's kind of Mirror Master, but less mm-hmm. um, tied down to a specific medium of reflection. Um, with with Mirror Master, it's I need mirrors and glass and polished surfaces to do my my hoodoo. Uh, Dr. Light is like specific types of light, different types of wavelengths. I can do different things with light. I can make hard light. I can make different colored light You know contraptions. I can uh, make holograms and what have you. So Dr. Light summons Snapper Carr to the Justice League hideout. And he's like, I shall tell you the story of how I bested the Justice League. And basically explains that he, he teleported the Justice League to different planets that would, in effect, make their powers useless so that they would never be able to get back to Earth. Snapper is writing all this down as the official Justice League you know, chronicler. And... Uh, now Dr. Light's like, I'm going to go and do bad stuff now, I guess. I'm going to freeze you with my light gun and you can't do stuff either and leave Snapper Carr in the Justice League hideout. Meanwhile, on the different planets, we see the Justice League struggling with their varying issues. However, Superman and Batman seem oddly unfazed by their situations. Superman being landed on a planet with a red sun and Batman being elsewhere. Um, someplace where his gadgetry doesn't work because electronics don't work on this planet. That doesn't seem to be a problem, however, because Batman is actually Superman in disguise, and Superman is actually Batman in disguise, which again feeds into the canonical statement that both Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent look exactly the fucking same. Especially during the (laughs) sequence where Superman is still in the Batman outfit, except for the hood. Right. And he... And people people confuse him. Looks the same. Looks the same. People on first inspection confuse him with with, uh, Batman. Only from, like, the mouth down, I guess? <laughs> he's Carl urban it. Right. It's really funny because, like, when he saves, I want to say Flash, he's like, thanks, Batman, because he's obviously in a Batman outfit. And he goes, wait, Batman can't fly Superman? Like, the giveaway wasn't the flying, you know, and the fact that he had no mask on. It was, I had to actually look at you. And so we get a flashback to... Batman and Superman realizing that the rest of the Justice League are trapped elsewhere and Dr. Light is clearly behind this. And they say, before we go fight him, whilst we finish up this world's finest storyline, why don't we switch outfits like we do all the time? Uh, Batman, use your makeup to look like me and we'll go fight him and we'll see what happens. They go fight um, and they get teleported to different planets. And then what's the big giveaway here is Superman when on his planet with the Red Sun, refers to himself as Superman in the third person, and we don't see his face. Then, when the rest of the Justice League is freed by Superman dressed up like Batman, they go to the planet where Batman dressed up like Superman is, and we still don't see his face, but Martian Manhunter, Wonder Woman, and I think Aquaman do? And none of them say anything about it. They don't like go like, oh, you're Bruce Wayne. They see him with no mask. Yeah, you're right. And they know that he's switched positions. Right. So either 
Batman mm. kept the makeup on while on the planet with the red sun. Or he took it off, which is why we're not seeing his face for some reason. Like, this is the first time they've ever hidden Batman's face. Mm. And if it had makeup to look like Superman, it wouldn't have been a giveaway to us had we seen his face. Because it's clearly supposed to be passable makeup to look like Clark Kent. The reader would not Mm. have known. Like, I don't understand why we did this weird sort of, like, bait and switch. (laughs) I wonder whether it was a casualty of something like the Marvel method where there's the story written, then there's the drawing and then the the letters to yeah. fill in. And maybe there, it was originally like written, like storyboarded as, uh, there will be a, there would be a visual giveaway right. except then the text didn't follow through on that. Right. I, I don't know, but it's, it's hilarious to just again, reinforce the idea that apparently Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent look really similar. Oh yeah. And it's hilarious to me. Um, or the Batman is just that good of a makeup artist on the fly. Um, they all return to Earth. They find Snapper. They free him. They go to start um, find these items that the Doctor Light said he was going to take, which are like the first examples of light. It's stupid. Just he's trying to get things that have light themes to them, and they find out that there's three Doctor Lights. They're holograms. One of them takes out Green Green Lantern in like a lightning flash, and everyone's like, "Holy shit! Green Lantern's dead." And then Green Lantern shows up once they've defeated the three holograms. They're like, we're not the real Dr. Light. He's elsewhere going to blow stuff up. And Green Lantern walks in with the real Dr. Light. And he's like, just kidding. I got him. I'm like, what did you do? And he's like, I used my ring to find out where the signal was coming from that was making the hologram. Because I found out he was a hologram with my ring. And I found him and I stopped him. So we're cool. And everyone's like, oh, good call, Green Lantern. He's like, thanks, cool. We got him. And then they leave and Snapper Car's like, haha. He tried to tell me this was the last case of the Justice League, but it's April 1st, so it's a gag. And it's like, shut up, Snapper, and write the story. But that's the first appearance of Dr. Light in JLA number 12. We're going to move to JLA number 13, August 1962. The JLA are taken from Earth by Sforal, or Sforal, um, an energy entity that's like, yo, this other planet called Skarn basically is a, a conquering world, and they bring champions from the other worlds, put them in gladiator matches, with duplicate robot versions of them, and they have to fight them, and no one's been ever ever able to beat them. We're next. We need your help, and we notice that you guys have never been beaten. And they're like, "Sure, we'll help you." Strange, starburst-looking characters. Um, not the candy, more so a starburst as an action mm, visual. Yeah, good call. Just so that you don't get confused, unless you want to think of them like the candy, in which case they're all um, whatever flavors you enjoy. I miss the tropical flavors. Thanks whoever makes starburst um i I just want to call out that i i don't know if i just don't watch enough tv but i couldn't think of the what the starburst jingle is there is none okay because i definitely did starburst eat fresh yeah it's like nope that's not it there is not it there's no starburst jingle and i i can't for the life of me think about what their tagline is either yeah we're we're not chocolate pretty much you know we're not chocolate and there is some kid in your class who's allergic to chocolate yeah we're for that guy yeah um (laughs) i mean there's nothing wrong with it and also starburst are great but whatever um meanwhile the justice league gets taken to scar and where the people are like yo what up we're gonna take earth next what we do is we conquer the planet then we take that universe's life force you guys are on the chopping block thanks for coming to us so we didn't have to take you 
fight these robot versions of yourselves. And there's no robot version of Aquaman because there's no water on Scar. And so they're like, we don't give a shit about you because you clearly can't do anything and you'll die in an hour. So Aquaman's like, this is bogus. And Green Lantern makes a water pool for him that just kind of floats him in air. He's like, hey, you can be our coach. And he's like, got it. And it gets in the pool and basically coaches the team through fighting these robots in a way that's kind of like Mr. Miyagi, but sort of not with like vaguely helpful things that like could also just be like really ambiguous. But the team kind of like does some mental gymnastics to take the meaning of what he says as some strategy. And then they find the device and they win and hooray. And they return and they get like a ticker tape parade um, from Sforl and his starburst looking people, which is mm. kind of nice. Um and it's also a good Aquaman doing something when he's kind of effect effectively in you know unable to do something. I like the idea that Aquaman is so observant he knows everything about everyone. Like he helped them when they like were in the the fun house and he's like, I know all this stuff about you to help you overcome this weird stuff of you guys not remembering who you are, or like, here's your oath, Green Lantern, and also like, I'm gonna watch you fight robot duplicates of yourself. I know how to beat them. It's like Aquaman is simultaneously, like, the most observant member of the League and also, like, the weirdly least effective. <laughs> and it's kind of great. Aquaman remembers to send everyone Christmas cards. Yeah, he's the guy that, like, does the flying fish happy birthday in the sky for them. Yeah. And yeah. you know what he doesn't do is he doesn't call ladies out for not going on dates with him with yes. flying fish. Exactly. Stupid, stupid Reno. Um... But yeah, I, I like the idea that Aquaman is simultaneously the best teammate and also like the best weird, like deep friend that no one knew they needed. Mm -hmm. It's fun. JLA number 14, September 1962. The Atom. You heard it here, folks. The Atom, the hero, Ray Palmer, joins the team. Mr. Memory has a villain and he has made everyone kind of forget who the Atom is and made every member of the Justice League forget who they are. Um... And he does this by getting them to fight sort of like villains from their own books who hit them with like a memory ray that makes them forget who they are so they can get all collected and he can do away with them all in one fell swoop. The Atom realizes that he doesn't know who he is, but something's going on. He uses his shrinking powers to kind of track Mr. Memory. They realize that Mr. Memory is actually Batman who has been convinced that he is Mr. Memory and has had the machine used on him. And they all, they're all together now with the Atom. And they're like, okay, we have to find out who the real guy is. They figured out that it was a dude that the Atom saw at the very beginning of the issue who was trying to find the location of the Justice League's secret lair. And when they find him, it's actually Amos Fortune, the guy from the Wheel of Fortune of oh Doom. Oh, my God. It's the His bad name luck was dude. Amos? Yeah. How did I not catch that the first time around? I probably didn't say it. Oh, um, wow. But it's it's Amos Fortune, the guy with the luck gland bullshit from last episode that we did. Um, and he's like, I figured that that was a bullshit thing to do, so I decided to mess with people's memories. And look where it got me. Pretty Pretty close. And they're like, yeah, good job, you're under arrest. And he's like, yeah, it happens. Um, but they all go back and they unanimously vote in um, the Atom to the team. They give him a little tiny chair for some reason that floats up to regular height. And I'm really per I'm really perplexed by this because the Atom isn't a dude who's consistently very tiny. He's a, a regular-sized human man who shrinks. I'm wondering whether they're always going to portray him when he's in costume as being small, whether yeah, that's part of the part of the suit up. We'll we'll find out when we actually read the Adam comics, but I just it's weird to me that the idea that the Justice League thinks of him as a tiny person. Mm -hmm. And I don't 
I mean, he doesn't say that he's not okay with it. So is it him for not calling them out or is it them for assuming he's okay with it? I don't know. It's kind of six of one, half a dozen of the other. But he's got a tiny chair now and he's part of the league. So now that's two new members of the league. That's Green Arrow and the Atom are the two new additions based off of voting that happens every year, I guess. Um, Just about, yeah. Yeah. So um, to recap the villains that are in this, that, that Mr. Fortune or Amos Fortune, who is doubling as Mr. Memory, uses to capture the Justice League members, it's Hector Hammond from Green Lantern, mm-hmm. Angleman, which, yep. you know, is a real character, I guess, that we talked about. Pied Piper from The Flash. The Sea Thief from Aquaman and Dr. Davis from Green Arrow. I'm going to assume we run into him mm. later in Green Arrow storylines. Yeah. Um, but it's just fun to see more villains teaming up from individual books that are being pulled out from Gardner Fox. Which I just, again, kudos to you for doing your homework, Gardner. Um, you may not do real science, but you'll at least read your, you know, the company brand. <laughs> you know, you read the product. Good for you. JLA number 15, November 1962. Aliens in a dimension that's like one minute ahead of ours um, come to our Earth to be like, yo, our universes are colliding, and if they do, we'll all die. So their decision and their solution is to blow up Earth. And the Justice League has to go to their dimension to stop them. And Green Lantern, in another display of the Green Lantern ring being completely overpowered, puts the universe back on the correct time scale so that it is once again a minute ahead of ours. And everything's fine. What can't that ring do? I like to think that it's not... Work on yellow. Sorry. Mm, I just realized the the joke. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Uh, I like to imagine that it's not that it's changing any of the, like, uh, chronological constants of the universe. It's just enacting universal savings time. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like he pushed everybody's clocks forward. He's like, congrats, you're fine. And everyone's like, oh shit, like we're an hour <laughs> forward now. Thanks, Green Lantern. And he's like, yeah, it, you just it, you had to learn how to program a VCR. You know, <laughs> uh, Hal Jordan, forever the blue collar fix for everything. I'm just going to make sure you don't have powers anymore. You can do that? Apparently. No one told me I couldn't. Half, <laughs> half of willpower is just not realizing your constraints. Yeah, just, just having the guts to try it. He's James Kirking it all the way. <laughs> Hal Jordan. JLA number 16, December 1962. This is the last uh, issue that we're going to cover. The JLA read a story sent to them by a guy named Jerry Thomas. I don't know if this is an Easter egg to anybody in real life or a made-up character. I got nothing. Um, The beginning of the issue starts as if they are fighting this character called the Maestro who uses magic to make them all dance uncontrollably, which is kind of like the music Meister, but that might be a character that will come in later because the the Maestro is totally fake and isn't a real character because as we're reading this and the JLA is captured by the Maestro and his ingenious prisons that are completely designed to counter all of their, you know, strengths and weaknesses, um, the story stops and Snapper's like, and that's where the story ends as he holds up comic panels. And you're like, what? And this is worse than it's all a dream. This is, it's fan fiction that was sent to us within the universe from a guy who's like, I found a way to defeat all the Justice League. And I'm like, first of all, you're not worried about that guy? <laughs> you're not worried about a guy who figured out a way to fight all of you? Second of all, they all go, wow, I wonder how we would beat the Maestro. And they think of something that works and then snapper writes it out i guess also draws it and then sends it to jerry thomas and then keeps the panels that he sent to them in the the jla trophy room but it's really weird it's like a wasted issue of them showing how the jla is actually in effect mortal Mm -hmm. and beatable 
but then also showing that they're not. It was really bizarre. And it was like, did you guys run out of ideas? Like at the end of the year here, like you just couldn't think of what story to do. So you came up with what you assumed would be the easiest way to like kill everyone. There's even a, a, a mugging for the camera line that really isn't mugging for the camera where the flash goes. I now have a lot more respect for writers about how to solve these problems because oh, I have to come God, up with it. I'm yeah. like, oh, stop it, Gardner Fox. Like, <laughs> Stop. Stop self-aggrandizing. Um, yeah, those are the, the stories that we covered. Only one body count. They cover, we covered a lot of villains that are going to come back in either individual books or in the future of the DC Universe. Felix Faust becomes a big deal. So does Dr. Light in some storylines. Um, the Atom shows up, which is a precursor to us covering the Atom himself. Um, the team is functioning a lot more as a team. It's getting to be more fast-paced. The stories are a little more. We need multiple villains to fight these guys because obviously they are such a powerhouse in and of themselves. Um, it's good. Like I, I enjoyed these. These weren't like, oh my god, the best things we've ever read. But they're also solid reads. You know, like I was, I was happy reading these. I liked all the different things that were happening. Like I liked Doctor Light's powers and how they weren't just like you know beams of light. Like he had colored beams of light or different types of light radiation and. Um, Felix Faust, I was like, whoa, magic for the first time. And they leaned into the fact that Superman was weak to magic. And mm -hmm. so he was completely as vulnerable as everybody else, which I was glad that they kept saying that. So there's a lot of good universe building moments that we as contemporary readers can see into the far future and be like, this is really cool for people reading these the first time. I mean, these aren't incredible first debuts for some of these villains they're okay i mean the felix faust one was kind of interesting but it kind of made the demons seem like they were more of a threat than felix faust mm -hmm. and the dr light one was cool i think he got he probably got the best um first appearance of a recurring villain that will come back again um so there's there was some good stuff there and i think these are solid again for gardner fox still kind of you know hitting what is going to be probably his big stage in his career right now and uh yeah i think uh that'll about do it for regular summary all right let's take a look all right uh one thing that i do want to tag on to uh when when you were doing sort of here's how you felt about the reading i'll generally agree like this i mean it, it's sort of a continuation of what we said last time they're solidly enjoyable they're not the best but they're enjoyable uh neither of us felt pain at having to read i mean i was certainly tired but uh it was a long day yeah and that happens they're not martian manhunter yes <laughs> thank god um the one thing that stood out to me this is something that i at least didn't notice previously in uh the last episode was there were a lot of stories a lot of issues that had let's look at one thing thing for each character uh for instance there's the when each of them are getting exiled to a different prison planet like mm -hmm. those aren't just individual panels like they were they were almost a page long story if not half a page yeah yep and there were a number of times we had those kinds of things at, at least like once per issue for a while uh like, yeah, I have written down it's 
three full pages showing the different leaguers on their prison planets, and then two full pages getting everyone back together. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I'm thinking if it's be in part it's because of the structure of the story, the fact that it's written as an ensemble where every member of the ensemble has the same amount of screen time per issue instead of it being like what I usually think of as an ensemble cast or a story where it rotates between like, Oh, this is the, uh, this is the Zuko episode. Um, or, or an X-Men where they're not really, mm-hmm. they're a unit more than anything. You know, this, yeah. this isn't, um, challengers of the unknown where in the challengers of the unknown, pretty much everything that happens happens to either everyone or groups of two. Mm hmm. You know, and so there's not a lot of wasted time going like individual things. But so mm-hmm. the to I think the detriment of those stories, the the challengers are weaker individual characters because yes. they only are the unit versus you have a bunch of characters who have their own books here who are fundamentally all A-listers that need that screen time. Because if you put importance over one or the other, you kind of like hand wave I think that's probably what they were trying to avoid. I think you're right. I think that this is, I mean, it's, it's everything I say is going to be tainted by, or tinged by the fact that in our current era of uh, comics storytelling, we, we read for arcs instead of individual issues really needing to stand on their own. Right. Uh, And to my my read is always, oh, you have the rotating spotlight, uh, and you do like one page from this character's perspective, and really let it sort of sit and build, and just have that be the lens. Instead, we're every we're going through every character's perspective, and we're doing it quickly, and we're doing it shallow, right. uh, and as, just as a result, all of these issues have like five pages of these like rotating views where nothing's really different between the different characters it's just a character specific version of whatever it is is happening to them yeah um it's it happens within the confines of whatever the plot is it is not unique to them like we're not seeing we're not seeing hal and carol have like a, a the intro to the yet you know the issue it's not like we're watching how jordan talk to carol ferris about their relationship and then he gets suddenly whisked away into a story you know and then that's a b plot mm-hmm. it's we are that's all, the key thing is yeah. the lack of it having any further repercussions yeah everything is just like oh they're fighting bad guys Oop, they got yanked away now they're back now they catch the bad guys again mm-hmm. yeah because there was an issue that started with uh everyone getting abducted and speedy was in it yeah. And it was like, great. And he was like, where'd you go? Or Jimmy Olsen was in one of them too. Yep. Like, and he was like, what is going on? You and they know? were kind of cool little moments. Like Jimmy's practicing like a magic spell he learned to make people disappear. And he's focusing his energy and poof, Superman's gone. And then Superman comes back. Right. And it's like, uh, but there was no actual repercussions aside from a callback at the end. Right. I do want to call out. We can both appreciate this pettiness. Um, the three demons who are brought back. The fact that their whole objective is let's make things the way it was before we were sealed away, which naturally involves uh, let's get rid of all the people. Mm -hmm. But also, there was no moon. First off, wow, that's a really long time for there to be no moon. But also, that's no moon. (laughs) That's no moon. Uh, Uh, Ball Z a bridge. Yep. Uh, Also, 
Complete tangent, but this was interesting. Apparently there was a Blackhawk cereal. Like, not cereal food, but like cereal uh, film. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I've been trying to find old Blackhawk issues. It's been difficult. Mm. And also, I hear they're kind of racist. But like... I would not be surprised. They had a... Like a hanger-on who was a... Uh, if not a racist Asian stereotype, but a racist, uh, racist sort of a Sambo stereotype. Mm. I want to say more Asian because it had to do with 1940s airplane warfare. There was a guy in the serial who was uh, Asian. I don't know specifics, but Coded. definitely Asian. Yeah. So then that is, yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of want to see if we can get some Blackhawks because those are cool. It's, it's, more, mm. it's just Challengers of the Unknown, but planes. <laughs> I mean, like that's Ain't wrong. It's just shouting "hawk ah" a bunch of times for no reason. Uh, other entertaining thing. So there are a lot of these ads. There are ads for circuses and amusement parks. Nothing could ever happen in the circus in New Jersey. Ew. Like sorry, Jersey. Fairly specifically, and it's just killing me because. This was a nationally published comic. How did it possibly have the return on the marketing spend to justify it? For a circus. For a circus in New Jersey. Like, you got a lot of concentration in the northeastern north, uh, seaboard, but this is, there's a lot of people in the U.S. How, and every, every, I have no inkling that this is anything but the national copy like i i don't think there's any way that there's like a specific california version oh, it's God, like no, no there couldn't it, have been yeah it's like how did you possibly get enough kids to go from these ads that are running in almost every single issue wow. like half page sometimes full page and justify it for it to be a national ad very strange yeah I mean, the flip, flip side is it must have worked somehow because it's been doing this for a while, but yeah. wow. Nothing good ever happens at the circus, kids. <laughs> we had a uh, metaphor return. Uh, there's the comparison, well, actually, I guess it's a simile of uh, like a straw driven into a tree by a hurricane. Hey, that's science bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, oh, and by the way, we were talking about this last time, but it was the idea that these aren't there's not a real chronology or a um, uh, continuity. It was a serialization. Um, that was the term we were looking for. Was mm -hmm. These are serialized yes. stories. They are not really continuity heavy. It's just the idea that like one happens right after the other. Much like um, a kid's cartoon show You know that doesn't have a too big of a, a plot. It's just like, remember last time that happened? And then like season seven, they're like, we're going to get real deep with this adventure time. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I talked a little bit about this last time, uh, just to reiterate, Gardner Fox is doing a good job with, like, making the things that people do feel grounded, like the, oh, the solutions, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense, that's, uh, like, uh, the point at which the leaguers have to imitate each other's power sets, uh, because they're trying to fool the three demons, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense, I'm cool He's with that, uh, the ejector seats in the arrow car, Always a plus. Always good. Yep. Always a fan. Even with that catapult in the back of the arrow car, too. 
There's a bit in epi- in issue. Oh wow, yeah, I did it. There's a bit in issue number thirteen. I don't remember which one this is exactly, but Green Lantern. That's right, Green Lantern versus Robot Green Lantern. Yeah, they have a beam struggle. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, beam struggles are a Dragon Ball Z thing where two people with their beam attacks, if they hit the, it'll instead of it both exploding on contact it's oh struggle of might uh who can overpower the other it's the harry potter one fight in the last god it is you're right yeah that thing if you don't watch anime it's that huh yeah fair enough (laughs) i have written down oh shit hector hammond in an evolution ray yeah oh it's the evolution meteor remember that he subjects people to yeah hector hammond with a big head now yeah Giant, giant head hector hammond Forever he shall always be that now. I have written down for uh, issue number 16 uh, where there's the uh, maestro of music or whatever. Yeah, the maestro, yeah. I just have written down, oh shit, an organ. Yeah, she's got a full full evil villain organ. It's so good. Played on a mountaintop in a cave. Alright, so this one's a little little off topic, but it's interesting. Welcome Uh, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Marty Stauffer. Yeah. Uh, one of the letters that caught my attention was talking about, uh, for some some of your readers might not know, but DC Comics characters have been on like the silver screen and on TV a bunch. Yes. And because this was at a time that was sort of in between because we didn't have... I, I think we had already seen the end of the uh, Superman uh, TV show that I'd talked about in the past. The Max we, Fleischer one? Ye, the Fleischer ones were the animations, right? Yes. Uh, there was also the live action one, and I think that had ended by this point. I I think the way it was talked we, about in the letter was We can was check like on a, the DC Universe. But we, oh, oh my. They're on there. We could. Nice. Uh and we de- we definitely don't quite have uh, Batman yet. Batman 66. So we're in this weird middle ground where there isn't much non-comics, I guess, enough. There isn't as any, like, film or TV DC stuff going on. Hmm. And so basically, like, this guy just kind of rattled off. Here's all these spots where you can find these things. And that's how I was... I learned that there was a Blackhawk serial. Hey. Uh and it got me thinking about the sort of period that we're in right now and how there is always a superhero movie going on. And mm-hmm. really, that's been the case since like 2000. Um, just about, yeah. Yeah, I, I went through and just was like, oh, let's just kind of look back at what we had. And really from like 2000, from 2000 on, like, 2000 is X-Men, 2002 is Spider-Man number one, uh, and then it's just, boom, every year, multiple a year. Uh, and it got me thinking especially about how in this particular moment, we're seeing the Marvel template of uh, you know, like wisecracks and action, and especially Justice League moved in that same direction. Like, And... Granted, you've got Wonder Woman. You've there are other movies that are not in the Marvel template, and I would argue that we're seeing 
like the fragment, I guess fragmentation is not quite the right word, but basically that of the uh, Marvel template within Marvel itself. Like Homecoming was more of an indie movie. And then uh, Logan is a Western. Uh, Black Panther still has some of the uh, Marvel template, but is also a little more Shakespearean, a little more uh, drama uh, in a very classical sense. But by and large, like the past... 10 years of superhero movies have been Marvel template. Uh, and there's been a lot of them. Uh, but what interested me was I went back and looked through, especially the earlier years, uh, pretty much like 2000, uh, 2013 thereabouts. I guess more like actually through like 2015. Yeah. Uh, specifically, I wanted to figure out whether, I wanted to ha- find evidence to back up the theory that I had that it wasn't inevitable that we land on the Marvel template. Because the Marvel template's relatively recent. I would argue that, like, Iron Man... Okay, you get Iron Man and Iron Man 2, and those are the predecessors of the Marvel template. Or, or even, like, trying to apply it as much as possible. You have the wisecracking, you have the action... Uh, and that is kind of the the core of the story, uh, that those two things. And then Avengers comes out. And okay, from then on, every, that's the style of the Marvel movies by and large. But there's a good 10 years before that. And specifically, I was looking at X-Men, Spider-Man, uh, and the Batman, or Nolan's Batman series. Those series... There's not a lot of uh, there's spe- they're very not the Marvel template. You're you're missing a crucial I'm, DC series there, mm-hmm. the Joel Schumacher Batman films. True, I didn't go far enough back for those. You're really missing those, and those are the Marvel template. Really? Oh yeah, they I've have only sound effects for the punching. <laughs> they did a like a like a fucking uh, Tiny Toons noise when guys slipped on the ice in the in batman and robin fuck yeah those are marvel template huh oh my god the joel schumacher batman movies are 100 percent marvel template how many one-liners there are the jokes batman's jokes to all the villains which are like way not what batman was at the time it was way more batman 66 huh. you're, you're missing out on like the years of batman movies that were shit you start with michael keaton batman those are Mm. those are still kind of a little bit marvel template maybe at at the barest minimum captain america winter soldier marvel template Mm. with short quick puns and jokes that's interesting yeah i should go back fair enough dc universe they're all there yeah I I will literally watch all those movies with you, and you, you could see what I'm talking about. Like you're missing out and not including the Joel Schumacher Batman franchises is woefully undercrediting what superhero movies were before the 2000s. I feel like superhero movies got way more serious in the 2000s. Oh, substantially, specifically Marvel films. Yeah, uh, I, Nolan's Batman. I'll. I'll well, also say which gets was in there, but, but yeah. that's a pendulum swing because yes, of the 100%, Schumacher 100%. movies. Spider-Man is the lightest of the Marvel films Agreed. until we get to... No, Spider-Man is the lightest of the Marvel films. Yeah, uh, up through... I'd say Iron Man is probably a little bit lighter, it's, but... No, it's uh, with funny. The that. It's not light, okay. though. Uh, fair. 
I'll agree with it's, that. It's making, with it's that. making light of alcoholism and PTSD. Mm. Those are not light subjects. Spider-Man, specifically the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans, are, are comedy superhero movies. They're not... Superhero comedy movies. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but, but you yeah, get what I, I mean. I see where you're going there. They're, they're Indiana Jones level And, and if humor. nothing else, like the palette and the way things are treated are comic book in Those the are, sense yeah. of like bright colors uh dr- drama but not like deep serious yeah. like dark drama spider-man toby, the first toby Maguire spider-man movie is quite possibly one of the most comic book live action films that exists mm-hmm. you you were specifically looking at the 2000s era i and that's was thing, like, and, and part of that's because that's when actually part of it is because that's my kind of uh superhero stuff i am i am less comedy oriented like i i have not even seen anything of the batman of that era of batman movies really past the first one i've only seen michael keaton so you've never seen like schwarzenegger as mr freeze i have never oh my god i've seen little clips you've not even seen absolutely like like, i've heard all of the puns yeah no but you've not even seen like danny devito as the penguin i have heard his laugh bringing out KY lotion to Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman asking which one she wants to use because he thinks they're about to do it. <laughs> Holy shit, man. <laughs> Holy no, shit, that's, really? That's Batman Returns. Fuck yeah, man. Wow. Oh, fuck. Batman Forever has Jim Carrey in it. What do you think is happening in that movie? Fair. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> there's like 10, right. there's 10 years of movies that you're, that you're just ignoring. Yeah. <laughs> So that's interesting. Yeah, for me, the the era of superhero movies really starts with, like, it goes pretty much, like, the end of the old Supermans to X-Men. Yeah. You're blacking and, out, like, the whole 90s. yeah. Which is, like, Blade. Yeah. And, um, oh, God, the David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. movie. Oh, that got a theatrical release? Oh, dude, it was Hasselhoff mm. in the 90s. Mm. Baywatch mm. Prime. I mean, oh, oh, buddy. Yeah, you <laughs> missed you missed some good cinema there. Fair enough. <laughs> there or earlier in the conversation? Yes, yes, all of it, all of it. You missed, you missed some good cinema there. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Yeah, we're going to have to, no, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to educate you. Cinema wise, this this can't this ha- this can't stand. Yeah, I I want to now I want to watch that era of Batman yep. more. Uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, no, that's good. That that is good and valid. So, uh, what I will say though is stuff that sort of stuck out to me. Like, okay, the X Men movies, box office wise, uh, they they made some decent money and more with each successive installment, uh, one, two, and three. Uh, Spider Man movies were huge. Uh, for comparison, like X Men One was two hundred ninety six million at the box office. I think this is worldwide gross at the box office. I pulled this. Uh, Spider Man One was eight twenty two million, uh, and basically hovers right in that range for all three of them. Uh, Superman Returns was still stronger than X Men One, and basically the same as X Men Two. Uh, I didn't realize how big. Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises were like those are the first superhero movies in this era, at least from from the ones I looked at. 
uh, to break the one billion mark. Hmm. Uh, and both of them, no, Batman three. Oh yeah, both of them uh, broke the billion mark. Uh, by comparison, like Phase One of MCU, uh, I think Phase One and ended with Avengers. Uh, up until Avengers is like not small time, but it's not huge. Like Iron Man One was. 585 million iron man 2 624 okay respectable captain america 371 million and then avengers comes out and it's 1.5 billion and from then on marvel just prints money but that's the thing is more people knew batman and superman yep you're right well that but also i'll agree with that but the fact that the Dark Knight did so much better than the first, uh, than Batman Begins, but that's, like there but that's was... what we were talking about before. Sell me on the quality of your stories. Yes, People, they were selling on the quality of their stories. One, mm-hmm. everyone's going to go in there because everybody knows Batman. That's immediately yeah. you're getting ticket sales just because it's a Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Conversely, people were buying Iron Man tickets because it was Robert Downey Jr. Yes, I will agree, with and that. that's and that's fine because mm-hmm. it got people into the door. But clearly, the money sh- clearly the money shows that Iron Man Two was a worse story because it didn't do that much better than the first movie. Yeah, you know, and that's but that's the thing is like DC has more iconic, remember memorable yeah. characters, and especially the most iconic ones from uh, Marvel were already locked up in other deals. Right, uh, Spider Man, X Man, yeah, etc. Especially Spider Man. Yeah. The only one at that point that mattered to most people. Yeah. Because that's the thing is, like, if you ask people who the the char- the superhero characters they know the most are, it's going to be Batman, Superman, Spider Man. Wolverine's like a distant fourth. Well, uh, I don't know because that's the thing is, post X Men movies, yes. Before mm. that, mm. no. Before that, mm. you got to think Wolverine you know, is. You know, you're right. Wolverine you're right. is is an X Men character. For comic fans, yeah. yeah. Comics fans, but if you were yeah, to walk down but... New York New York City Street, name me a superhero. Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Any others? Superman. Batman. Probably Wonder Woman mm-hmm. is gonna be next because the Linda Carter yeah. TV show. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, then I'll and buy... then maybe Captain America. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe Captain America. Marvel characters were really hmm. more popular with readers of comics than they were with the average person i'll agree with that because before before the mcu boom Mm. it was predominantly dc films with characters that had existed for so much longer i'll agree with that and that'll about do it for me on notes okay (laughs) uh the big recommendation go see into the spider-verse i need to go see so good it's so good um yeah, I, I mean, the animation's incredible. I love the soundtrack. The The story itself, I think, is really tightly written for what it's trying to do, which is hard to do for something that deals with what it's doing. And I was really impressed with it. It's got a lot of heart. It is also just incredibly well-written. Please go see Into the Spider-Verse. Apparently, they're thinking of making a sequel already that is an all-women spider um, team with uh, Spider Gwen, Silk, and Jessica Drew, Spider Woman, which is going to be cool. Um, so that's fantastic. Go see that movie. Help it make tons of money. It needs it needs to be it needs to be shown that that's the type of superhero movie that deserves to get made. 
and it, it is just a really beautifully made film with a lot of love. I need to, I'm seriously considering like just saying to the family, we should over Christmas break, we should go see this movie. Yeah. Uh, my recommendation, I am conflicted about whether to recommend this, but uh, Dragon Ball Super, I just wrapped up watching uh, the subtitled version dub is still in the process of coming out. And like specifically, I, I've been I've been on a Dragon Ball kick for like a heavy Dragon Ball kick for probably the last like seven months or so. Basically, Dragon Ball Fighters came out. I eventually got it, and just like ever since, it's been uh, to some degree that's been like background radiation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dragon Ball Super, like there are there are different arcs. Let's be clear that the different arcs are different entities. Uh, but basically, uh, the the final arc is the big one, uh, the Tournament of Power. Uh, and there are major ups and downs. Like, there are some decisions from a plot side, less so from a character side, but mostly from a plot side that just... I'm not happy. They're just... I don't understand. I, I think there are, there are decisions that are made that I feel badly hurt my ability to get into some of those bits. However, like each individual episode is very enjoyable. Uh, and I love what they do with Vegeta. Like I love the, the character arc that Vegeta has throughout Dragon Ball Z and super, I think keeps playing forward very well. And if nothing else, Dragon Ball Super will forever be the thing where it is canon, at least in the English dub, that Goku doesn't understand what a kiss is. <laughs> it is canon. Good. Good. Yes. Reminder, uh, Vegeta for dad of the year. Flawless. <laughs> Flawless concept. Uh, that will do it for us. We begin our descent into catching up all the other characters we may start with some new ones just to keep things fresh. We may um, end with them. We're not sure yet, but suffice it to say, the elongated man and the atom will have will now begin to be part of our you know normal rotation until they no longer are. Um, perhaps even the metal men. Yes. And uh, one more JLA push forward, and we'll see the Doom Patrol. But we'll see you know the challenges of the unknown again. We'll see. You know, all the regular Justice Leaguers will probably do an episode each, just catching them up between 1961 to 1962 or to 1963 um, and just power through and get back to where we need to be. But we will probably spend a good long time, you know, catching you up on like the minor ones like the Hawks and Adam Strange and, you know, folks like that, just because that's the whole point is, you know, getting you back up to these. Um, But we will see you all next time. Happy holidays. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Eventually, we had to call it a day. Every issue of the Justice League was fun, with the leaguers finding creative ways to use their powers and save the day. And with recurring characters and multi-part stories, this was the most serialization that we'd seen outside of Hawkman and Flash. For now, though, we had other threads to follow up on.